0: We're going to open in prayer as we get ready for the message. Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask that you guide and lead as we look at your word and, and see what you would have us to learn from this. And we just thank you in your precious son's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to enter here into a section of scripture that is uh, applicable to living uh having trouble speaking today. Um, Paul's letters all kind of have this very strong emphasis. In the first, usually half to two-thirds of it, he, t- he teaches a lot of heavy-duty doctrines. And the last part of his letters, he gives you a bunch of, this is what you do with these doctrines and how you live. And we're starting into one of those in this section. And it's got one of those favorite words that everybody hate, loves to hate, submit. Okay, Uh, I don't know how far we're going to get in this because we're going to look at the word submit and maybe look at it from a different way than you're used to looking at it. So starting at verse 3 in chapter, excuse me, chapter 3 verse 18. Pray for me, I'm not speaking correctly here today. (laughs) Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands, as is fit to the, in the Lord, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things for it is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh, to not with eye service as men-pleasers but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you for you served the Lord Christ but he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done and there is no respect of persons masters given to your servants that which is just and equal knowing that you also have a master in heaven so we're going to look at this very first word that everybody hates submit (laughs) and now I just want to look at this word in Greek the word is hupotasso and it is a military term. It is not used for wives in, in, the, in the Greek usually. It is means to be in submission to a, a position of authority. All right? And it does not have anything to do with greater or lesser value. All right? If you've ever been in the military, there's a famous saying in the military that you are to respect the uniform if not the person in it. All right? Uh, and this is the word that, this is that word in that same meaning. Whether the person res- deserves respect or not, hupotasso is I respect the position, not necessarily the person. They may or may not deserve it, and hopefully for, your wi- for wives your husband deserves it. If not, you still respect the position. But I want to just show you this word hupotasso is used in the New Testament 32 times. Okay? Sometimes it means submit, sometimes it says obedience, and sometimes it says respect but the word itself is used 32 times only five of, uh, excuse me, only four of which have to do with wives (laughs) okay so I just want to help you understand that this word is not a negative word that is so often looked at by people. 12 times this word is used that the world will abide and give respect and submit to Jesus that's the primary use of this word in the scriptures 12 times It is that the world basically is going to bow its knee to Jesus and be submitted to him. Uh, Five times, it talks about the carnal world is not submitted to God's law. All right, Because right now, the world is not submitted to God's law. And if you thought it was, then you've deceived yourself somehow. Uh, Most of our problems come from the fact that the world's not submitted to God's law. And unfortunately, we as Christians oftentimes are not submitted to God's law. All right, so this is five times it's used like that. Two times in when the disciples were given power to go out and they witness and they came back and they said, the demons are subject to us. They, they submit to us. We cast them out, we told them to be quiet and they submitted through God's power. So I'm trying to help you understand that this word is not a negative word on this. Um, three times used of people to their government. Isn't that a hard one sometimes when you don't think the government is doing the things that it should be doing? And usually it's not. (laughs) You know, we need to be submitted to our government and pray for them. And if we are in a position, just as when the disciples told their leaders, you know, we need to obey God rather than men, there are times when we are to obey God rather than man, and they are very few. But if you disobey man in favor of God, you also need to take the attitude of the disciples, thank God I am worthy of suffering for Christ. Because the government has the right to punish us for disobeying their laws, whether they're in agreement with God's laws or not. Because our calling is three times, submit to government. Pray for our leaders. And you know, we said this, I've said this before, if you want to help somebody, if you're not praying for them, you have no business talking about the bad things they're doing in their life you need to pray for them. Same thing with the government. If you're all praying for the government, you have no business speaking against anything going on in the government and probably still shouldn't speak against it because God says he has put the government in place and usually it's because we deserve what we get. When the Jews got into sin and idolatry, God put them under subjection to some foreign power. The book of Judges is all about that. They do bad, they get put under, uh, under a, a, another country. They <coughs> repent, God delivers them. Finally, the northern kingdom gets delivered into Assyria because of their great sin, and the southern kingdom gets sold into Babylon for their sin. You know, God does have a limit to his patience. The other ways that it's used is, one of them is that the world to Jesus, Jesus to his parents, There's a verse in Matthew that says Jesus honored his mother and father, he submitted to his earthly mother and father. It also tells us in another verse that Jesus is submitted to the Father. Again they're co-equal, they're both both God and yet he is subject to the Father. I'm hoping you're understanding this word is not a negative word necessarily. You know it gets turned by our world into a negative word. I am not going to submit to anybody. You know, and you know, I hear that a lot, especially out at the prison, I hear it a lot from these guys. They don't like to have to submit to their rules. There's a lot of punishment if they don't. Our children do not like to submit to the rules of, the, of, of our When we were children, we didn't like to submit to the rules of our parents. We don't like to submit to the rules of the government. When you were a worker, you probably didn't like to submit most of the time to work. Submission is something that is hard for us as human beings to do because we like to be number one in the flesh but you know there's a great value in being submitted to authority because when you're submitted you're under the umbrella of that authority as long as you obey the rules of the government you don't have to worry about being punished if you're submitted to your parents you don't have to worry about being punished and having a hard time but this is also true for the church to a pastor, the, the, wo- the woman to her own husband, as long as they're not asking you to do something that's sin and you're obedient, you're under their umbrella. That protection of just doing what you're told. Now don't do, you know, we've found that, don't do, use that as an excuse knowing that you're wrong, okay? The apostles didn't do that, the disciples didn't do that. You're telling us to do wrong, we've got to obey God and we'll take the punishment. But as much as possible, they stayed under that authority of the government and stayed out of trouble, all right. So I just wanted to bring this up, uh, you know, and then it talks about the church to Jesus and the parent, uh, the, uh, the servants to the masters. So I just wanted to help you understand, submission is a great gift that God gives us to be submitted to Him. You know, our job is to be submitted to Christ. How often do we chafe at even doing that? There's just a few laws in the Bible, 613 of them. (laughs) Okay, just a few. And how many of them do we go, God, I just don't want to do that? We've talked about it and we studied in the book of Deuteronomy God's definition of telling the truth. Now, most people will have this idea how much do I have to say to still be telling the truth? Biblical truth is you speak the whole truth, nothing but the truth, in love. (laughs) Okay, it tells us in the New Testament. Uh, there's things that you can say that are truthful that can hurt people, you need to say it in love. You know, but it's kind of interesting in our judicial system, we have this uh, rule that they swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and yet the lawyer, if you've ever gone to court, will tell you, answer just the question that is asked to you. So you're, you're promising to tell the truth God's way, <laughs> and your lawyers are telling you do it the way the world does it and tell them just what you need to know, what they need to know or what they ask. Kind of a confusing situation in the same environment and everybody knows that's what goes on. And we as Christians need to make a decision. Are we going to obey God in everything he says? Or are we going to take up this book and pick and choose what we want to to believe in? If that's the way you treat the Bible, you're wasting your time. God's word is true. If you're trying to pick and choose what's true, what's not true, what's real, what's not real, go find something else to do. <laughs> you know, you're, not, you're not going to be there. And I've met many Christians who go, well, I just don't believe that part of the Bible. Okay, well, I like Dr. McGee's statement that where he and the Bible disagree, the Bible's right. Okay, I love that statement. You know, um, I, I've said it this way, you know, the Bible is always true. If you don't believe the Bible is always true, refer back to the first statement, <laughs> okay? The Bible is always true. When you're reading through the scriptures, when you're studying the scriptures, God is true, and he has a good plan for us in our life. Now, it may not seem like a good plan most of the time. Sometimes we look at it and say, God, have you lost your mind? <laughs> now, we may not actually say that to him, but we're we thinking that in most cases? Yeah, we found out brave enough, God, have you lost your mind? Uh, But aren't we thinking that very thing? God, how could you let all these things happen to me? Job said that basically to God. God, I don't understand. This is not what's supposed to happen. I've been good. I've been honest. I've been obedient. Why are you letting all these bad things into my life? And God had a plan. God always has a plan, and his plan is always good. It may take us four or five decades to see the good, (laughs) but he doesn't always promise that we're going to see the good. You know, he gives us enough, though, that we see enough good to know that he is good. And hopefully you've seen enough good out of God from the times that he's given you these hard trials to say, God, you've got a good plan. I like it. We need to realize that we don't necessarily know everything that God knows. I know that's a shock to everyone in this room and everybody listening, that we don't know everything that God knows. But he knows everything. In the PowerPoint we had that statement, or no, months ago we had the statement, God's perfect will is what I would choose if I knew everything, okay? If I knew everything, his plan is exactly what I would choose because I would know that 50 years from now, what I'm going through today is just what I need 50 years from now. Or what I'm going through today is what somebody else needs to see me go through with him. Because one thing that that God doesn't promise to us is that it's for our good. He says all things work together for good to those who are called according to the purpose of God. Not everything that happens to us is for my good. (laughs) Not everything that happens to you is for your good. (laughs) But you know the people that are looking at your life and watching what's going on in your life, it's for their good many times. It's for your kids when they watch how you respond to various activities. You get pulled over by the police for speeding. How do you react to the authority with the blue lights behind you? I'm guilty. <laughs> you know, many people will start cursing and swearing until the officer gets to their car. I'm <laughs> guilty. You know, but you know, we, we're guilty and we take it that way. What do we show, you know, the way we respond tells a lot to the people that are with us and, or, or that see us, and it speaks volumes. Do we look at God's word and say, God, you are true? I'm going to stand with what you want. Very important for us. His word is true. And the more we believe his word, the more we will be submitted to God. And the more we're submitted to God, the more we'll be submitted to every other authority in our life. And be able to lift Christ up. Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You know, every one of us gets watched by the world around us. Every one of us gets watched by our own children, our nieces, our nephews, our family, our coworkers. If you tell them you're a Christian, they're gonna look and say how does a Christian react when anything happens in their life? What kind of testimony are we giving? The statement that is out there, most people are not a Christian because they either don't know a Christian or because they know a Christian. And there's a very sad thing, you know, very few people, especially in America, don't know a Christian. The problem is, is that they know a Christian or somebody who says they're a Christian. And they look at them and say, well, you're no different than me. You're cheating on your taxes. You're out at the bar every week. You're, you're lying to everybody. You're, you know, you're doing everything that I do. And a matter of fact, I'm better than you because I don't do those things. The sad thing is, that's where a lot of Christians are or people that name the name of Christ. They are such an example that people go, yeah, who wants to be a Christian? Now, all of us probably also know Christians that are a good standard. You look at them and say, now that's what I want to be like, or that's how I want to behave when, this thing, when these things happen. How do we do that? We let God crucify our flesh, and we let him come out of us. And this is the most important thing. He does the work. <laughs> you know, I talk to people a lot of times, I go, well, I'm trying to be a good Christian my answer to them is quit trying and let God crucify your flesh now I know that that's easier said than done I've been struggling with it for over 40 years getting better at it with each passing day letting God crucify the flesh and and live for him and hopefully you are too as you are all maturing and getting better but you know it's it's not an easy thing to do because our flesh doesn't like to stay crucified we like to try to dig it up out of the grave and resurrect it You know, come on down off this cross and you come back and rule. And Christ is saying, no, I want it crucified. And he only crucifies certain areas at any one time. So we have plenty of other sins to deal with. And maybe you've noticed that the more sin you get out of your life, the more you see in your life. You know, And this is why? Because in the innermost parts of our heart is evil. Who can know the depths of our heart? Only God. And what he sees there is not something we want to be seen. So every time we get rid of something in our life, God shows us a few more things that have to be taken out. I was sharing with one guy one time, and he's going, well, it's easy for you. You got your whole life put together. And I am going, oh, you don't even know. Yeah, you don't even know the things God is telling me to stop doing. I don't even want to tell you what he's telling me to stop doing, because I don't want to discourage you. Because yeah, he was worrying about his drinking and, and his partying and all that. You know, and he's going, well, you don't do all that stuff. You, you've got it all put together. And, you know, we, we, if you get rid of those, we get to deal with our thoughts. <laughs> you know, God says that we're to take every, uh, captive every imagination of our heart. You know that's not an easy thing to do. Take captive all the th- thoughts that come together. Talking to the person this morning, they were saying that they were told that the thing that they were concerned about was taking up too much of their mind. How much time do we spend on things of the world and getting our mind captivated and filling our mind with all of problems, issues, uh, the way people have been mistreating us, they're they're not doing what we want them to do and we spend all our time concentrating on those things and God tries to come in and whisper and say, I want you to think about me. And we're going, God, I'm too busy. (laughs) I've got got too many other things to think about, God, to be thinking about what you want me to think about. You know, this person was mean to me, and this person cut me off on the road, and, you know, and uh, my, bo- my, my boss is getting ready to close down the company. And I don't know where the bills are going to come from. The my 401k, the the uh, market's going down and tanking. I'm losing all my money, and you're you've got all these concerns and worries, and God's saying, just let them go. You know, all those things I said, God knew was going to happen. <laughs> you know, the more we concentrate on the fact that God knows everything about our life, the easier life is. You know, I've said this many times, one thing you're never going to hear God say is, I didn't know that was going to happen. Okay, Nothing in your life is going to be something that God did not know was going to happen. Our job is to just rest in Him. We are to go into faith rest. God is in charge, He's in control, and you know what? He can take care of anything that comes our way. I've heard people say well I just don't want to give this to God it's not really that big a problem what problem in your life is going to be a big problem to God you know he created the entire universe he keeps it all running in spite of the sin and the problems created by man he keeps it running what problem in our life no matter how big it might be to us as a human being is God going to consider oh that's so big I, I can run the whole universe but I can't take care of that problem that's not God's attitude God can take care of all of our issues. He knows what is happening. He knows why it's happening. He knows it's what we need to grow. And the sad thing is, if you don't pass God's test, he doesn't say, let's go to the next test. He says, let's keep giving you this test until you pass it. Once you pass that test, then we'll go to another test. We will spend our entire life taking tests with God. The news is, if we're trusting in him, he's the one that takes the test. I just give it over to him and say, okay, God, it's yours. Have you ever gone through a test where you did it right? Don't raise your hands. I hope, I hope everybody in here has. When you just did everything right on the test, and you look and you go, wow, God, that was so, that was so easy. It was so, so wonderful. I had a test one time when everybody else was more worried than I was about what I was going through. They're all, they're all going, how are you going to do this, how are you going to do this, how are they going to do this, I, go, I don't know, that's God's problem, not mine. I don't do that all the time. <laughs> but you know what's fun when you do? Yeah. When it is a lot of fun when you say, God it's your issue, you're going to take care of it. Being submitted to God and saying, God it's all yours. It is all yours. What peace you have when you give all your problems to God. Now. I wish we could stay that way. (laughs) Of course, if we stayed that way, we'd be like Enoch or Elijah and go go straight to heaven because we'd be so close to God, He'd just take us home. But you know, our goal should be God, I'm going to give everything to you. You are, I'm going to rest in you because of His grace. You know, you noticed all of our songs today, most of the songs are about the blood of Christ. I want to sing some songs about the blood of Christ because that is our way out of all the issues that we're facing. When God comes, allows Satan to come against us, we lift up Jesus in the blood. We are under the blood. When God sees us as perfect, and if we just stay under the blood, we can rest because of his wonderful grace. And we can stay submitted. And then it says in this verse, as we go back to it, wives be submitted unto your own husbands. <laughs> okay. Now there are some crazy churches out there that teach that women are to be submitted to all men, and that is not a scriptural teaching at all. Alright? That is not scriptural. It is not proper. Wives, you are submitted to your husband, your own husband. And if you pick the right guy, he should be worthy of that respect, that, that submission. If you did, well, then you're going to have to suffer for not listening to God. <laughs> but for men, it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Love. This is the word agape. Agape. It's defined as unconditional love by most people. I'm giving you the definition that it is objective love. It is love that you choose to do in spite of what happens. That is God's love toward us. It does not matter what we do or don't do. He loves us. There will be consequences for not obeying. All right, But he loves us. Why? Because he chooses to love us. And we wouldn't want it any other way, would we? God, if I did death bad, you would choose not to love me. No, he's chosen to love me. It's unconditional. It's unmerited. It is. He has chosen to do it. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins because he loves us and said, I'm going to provide the way to be able to spend your eternity with me. Husbands, we're to love our wives objectively. doesn't matter whether they're being kind to us or mean to us whether they're doing everything we want them to do or not doing anything that we want them to do it is to be objective love I have chosen to love you and I'm going to continue loving this person what do we hear most people in our world say for the reason for getting divorced I just don't love this person well that's probably true they probably never loved the person they got married when they were in infatuation and emotions and then lust. and then when bad things start happening I go well I just never really loved this person and they're telling the truth they never loved them one of the things I do when I counsel somebody who's wanting to get married is I cover what love is you know and I've never gotten beyond that in my counseling for some reason most people don't like to hear that kind of that kind of definition of love and they've abandoned in my counseling but I want to make sure they understand how serious it is if you're going to get married it's a lifetime commitment according to God and it needs to be for the right love I have chosen to love this individual you know what if you would have the love like that it makes it a lot easier you know, all of our relationships if you've been married any length of time you know this is true there's times when you you start out really in love with each other emotionally and then some bad things happen and you kind of like I don't really love this person you're kind of looking around the around the house like why am I living with this person how come we're in the same room you know, you go another year or two and you're back in love with each other, you go another couple of years and you're back, you know, this is the way we cycle through our relationships, even with family sometimes, you, you know, you get mad at your family and you don't, you know, you know, you only come around here because you're my family. <laughs> Unconditional, objective love keeps us through those times. I chose to love you and I'm not going to not love you until I choose to not love you and if we follow God's standard, we don't change our mind. Again, one of those things, easier said than done, I know. <laughs> but you know, if we get it in our mind that this is the love that I'm choosing to have, when you go through those hard times, you go, God, I just, I'm just going to stay. I chose to love. Help me get those feelings back. That's God's love for us. There are times when God looks down at, his, at people and go, what are they thinking about? <laughs> Why are they doing what they're doing? You know, they, they just, if they just keep going down the road, I've got these great plans for them. And he knows we're mortal and everything, but you can picture God saying, shaking his head. You know, have you ever, when you were raising your kids, did you ever look at your kids getting ready to make a decision and you're just shaking your head, going, if you only knew, <laughs> Mom, Dad, you're just trying to keep me from having fun. <laughs> I always want to have fun. Well, if you knew what, what I know was probably going to happen, you wouldn't want to be having this fun. You wouldn't want to be going out with your friends drinking knowing the consequences of the drinks you would not want to go out and have fun with your friends doing drugs knowing the consequences that drugs have and God oftentimes is looking at us and probably in tears if you just knew where this was headed And this is why we need to be submitted to God looking at God now there's next part of love he says and do not be bitter against them How easy is it when somebody doesn't do things the way you want them to do it, to get bitter? And usually this whole bitter becomes out of unforgiveness. I am not going to forgive what they did. I'm going to dwell upon it. And I'm just going to get angry every time I see them. I'm going to be angry because I am dwelling on what they didn't do or did do to me. Hopefully you're you're not doing that to your spouse. But how many of you have somebody in your life that when you see them, you get very upset and bitter just by seeing them? They don't have to say a word. (laughs) They don't have to do anything. They walk in the room, and it's like, oh, no, not them. (laughs) I know this happens. I've seen many people that do this. (laughs) In the church, we sometimes do that with people. And that's terrible because we should be loving this person. Where do we want people to be, especially if they deserve the bitterness? Don't we want them here where they can hear God's word and hear the truth? And if you treat them with bitterness, you drive them right back out the door, where they'll never hear God's word and truth, most likely. I and mean, God can do anything he wants, but our goal should be that when somebody that you look at and says, well, oh, no, what are they doing here? It should be, oh, it's so good to see you have a seat. You know, and hope that the message speaks to them that day. <laughs> Maybe it will speak to you. You know, I've said many times, you know, when I was first married, I used to pray that my wife would change, and I quit praying that because God always changed me. <laughs> so I've learned to pray for me. <laughs> you know, I've learned to pray for me and let him change me. In the process, I'm sure he changes my wife and everybody else, but I'm more concentrated now on me. When I'm in the church, I, want to con- I pray that God help me with my attitude toward anybody that I have a hard time with. And I'll tell you, I don't have a hard time with a lot of people because God's given me a lot of forgiveness and patience with people. Now, are there people I look at and say, okay, here we go, this is going to be fun today. <laughs> yes, there's times so when I've done that. Yeah, but I know that God's at work. I know that God's at work. And we need to be very careful. How do we treat one another? We're to love one another. We're to build one another up. We're to edify one another. We are the body of Christ. And you think about this. If you cut your finger, what happens to your body? Blood runs through the body. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in biological terms, the rest of the body is suffering while that blood goes to the body to heal that cut. The rest of the body is taking saying, I'm going to take less blood so that that spot can have lots of blood, especially if it's a big cut. That's why people can bleed out and die because the whole, the body is designed to try to stop that bleeding. We're the body of Christ. How often do we have this attitude of, well, I'm not giving up any of my blessings so that that person can be fixed by God. So many times we have this attitude of everything about God is about us. I have news for you. As far as God's concerned, nothing about it is about us. Nothing. He is out there to lift up his son, whatever lifts his son up. My purposes are not God's purposes, and God's purposes are not my purposes. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's a whole long list of people who gave up their lives to lift Christ up. And well, God used their sacrifice to be lifted up. How do we usually react to any kind of sacrifice? Usually most of us don't have to pay with our lives. God, I'm in pain. Why are you putting me in pain? You know, God, you shouldn't put me in pain. While the other people are being blessed. We need to be very careful about our outlook. Are we focused on God? Do we say, God, I want you and what's best for you no matter what happens to me? I want to really challenge us to think about this. If you don't know God today, this is the day to know him. Turn your life over to him and say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. Your son died for me. Come into my heart and change my life. But if you're a Christian in this room, and I know most people are because that's what they tell me, all <laughs> so I'm taking your word for it. Our goal should be, God, help me to stay focused on you. When I'm going through hard times, help me to stay focused on you when everything looks like it's going bad help me to stay focused on you because every one of us have been there at some point in our life where at least during the time we thought all the things were bad and God says I've got a good plan where is our focus am I focused on God if I'm focused on God I can go through great storms think about Peter in the boat in the storm he steps he says if that's you Lord tell me to step out and walk on the water and he said come now it's amazing Peter had enough faith to go out on the water OK He walked out in the water, and what does it say? He saw the waves. He took his eyes off Jesus, saw the waves in the storm, and at that point he's going, "What am I doing? I can't walk on water. I can't walk on probably say, first started of I can't walk out in the middle of the storm." And then he realizes, "Oh, I'm walking on water as well." And what was the result? He sinks. Now he knew what to do, He called Jesus, help and Jesus lifted him up and what did Jesus say? Oh you of little faith. How many times have we walked out into a storm, walked out into a precarious place with God in faith doing great things and all of a sudden looked around and said we can't do this. I can't be talking to this person. I can't be doing this. I can't be taking this step. And we end up floundering. And most of us aren't smart like Peter. We don't look to Jesus and say help me. Until we're after we're in, under the water are we willing to look at Jesus and say God I want you to help me help me to love these people not be bitter toward them you know we need to learn forgiveness and what is true forgiveness is not just saying I forgive you You (laughs) now that that's those are easy to say I forgive you it's when you're sitting back later on and going well that person should never have done that how how could they how could they have dared to have done that and then from that point you go and you meet your best friend you go you know what so-and-so did to me yesterday I forgave them, God, I forgave them. You're just talking about them all the time. You're talking about it to everybody you meet. You haven't forgiven them. It's still occupying space in your mind and making you bitter toward them. You know, how do we end up doing the, the forgive and forget? You know, we know that our brain ca- carries everything we've ever learned. You know how you, forget, you uh, forgive and forget? Quit rehearsing it. Okay, quit rehearsing it, quit telling people about what that person did to you, what they didn't do to you. Because I can guarantee most of you, unless you had a special event a week ago, don't remember what you had for lunch. Unless it was a very special dinner. But if not, go back a month. You remember what you did a month ago. Why? Because you're not rehearsing it every day. But if you think, man, that was the best meal I ever had, and you rehearse it to yourself over and over again, you'll remember it. Now as I said, unless it was something really special, you'll remember. Why do we remember the bad things people do to us? Because we keep churning it up in our mind. Churning it up in our mind. We're re- you know, oh, it's down, it's down, down a half a foot. Get that shovel out, get it back up on the top. If you want to truly forgive people, stop talking and rehearsing of what they've done to others and even in your own mind. Most people's bitterness comes from the fact that they've been churning something up sometimes for 20, 30, 40 years. They've been angry. I've met people who've been angry with somebody all their life. It happened to them when they were 12 years old. They're 80-something and they're still mad about what happened to them at 12 years old because they've rehearsed it in their mind. Every time they start to forget it, they put it back up on top. That's not the way we're supposed to be. God himself says that all of our sin has been placed under the blood of Christ. And he no longer remembers it. That's the God of the universe who remembers everything. Says, "I've got a place where I put your sins, and I don't remember them." Divine fiat. He says, "This is the place I've got it." All right. Uh, Corey Tendrum said, "He has that place, and he puts a no-fishing sign there." Okay. Uh, He doesn't want sins to be remembered. If you've confessed your sins, he has forgiven your sins. And you know what, this also f- includes forgive yourself. <laughs> you know, I've talked to a lot of people and said, well, I can forgive others, I just can't refi- re- forgive myself. Unfortunately, that's a pretty arrogant position to take. God can forgive you, but you won't forgive yourself. You're not going to get over yourself. I mean, that's the flesh's way of thinking, I am so important, I, and I blew it. No, you're really not that important. In one sense, we are important to God; He died for us. But in one sense, we're not important enough for God to say, "I'm not going to forgive you." You, while wow, you're just so you're, you're so great, <laughs> you know. You're, you're like Satan. You're going to you're going to sit. You want to sit next to me? <laughs> what does God do to Satan when He said, "I will ascend to the, to be on top of the hill"? He says, "You're cast out of heaven completely." We need to be careful. We need to have a proper attitude about ourselves <laughs> and who we are. And when I say proper that means a proper attitude. Who are we? In Christ we're everything. In Christ we are perfect. In Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are adopted children of God with access to all the power and and riches of heaven in His name. Outside of Christ we're worthless worms. (laughs) And we need to understand that. When I'm upset about something that's happened to me I'm not in Christ. I was asked earlier this week, you know, how can somebody be angry and sin not when they're not focused on themselves? <laughs> if you're focused on yourself, you are most likely going to sin when you're angry because why? Well, you hurt me. <laughs> I am going to get back because you just damaged my reputation. You did this, you did that, and I'm the one that's hurt. If you're saying a lot of me and I's in your statement and why you're angry, you're not going to be without sin. When you are Jesus going into the temple and cleaning it out with a whip and whip and throwing the tables all because they're polluted, his father's house, and he's cleansing his house, that could be a different story. Now you won't always be without sin if it's against somebody else, but you're like more likely to be without sin when it's somebody else that you're defending. But we look at this: husbands do not be bitter. Now, it's kind of interesting he didn't, he didn't put wives in that same statement, <laughs> you know. Uh, but we do all have to be that way. Don't be bitter toward others, you know. This one specifically husbands and wives, but we need to be careful that we're not bitter toward all those that are around us, church members, family members, co-workers. We need to be able to forgive, and not just when they ask, you know. I've heard many people, well, if they ask me, I'll forgive them. You one of the things I've learned over the years, and you probably have learned this too, how many times have you been angry with somebody and you go and tell them that you, you forgive them and they go, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Go, well, I've been mad at you for 40 years because you did this. I don't remember doing that. Or, I'm really mad at you because you looked really mad at me the other day. Well, I don't remember that. I remember hitting my, hand, my, my, my thumb with a hammer when you were nearby. <laughs> you know, but I don't remember being mad at you. <laughs> Too often we try to assign motives to what people do. And I can tell you uh, I'm not very good at mind reading and I don't think anybody in this room is a good mind reader. But how many times have you ever said well they said this because and you get a long story behind the because and to you it's true, you really think that's what they were doing. Well they they said this because. You may or may not be right but you know, I'm not a mind reader, you're not a mind reader. We don't know why people do what they do. But you know I've seen it all the time even at work. People are upset with people because they did this and they did it on purpose. They were really trying to hurt me. They did this on purpose. And I know people <laughs> because I know every one of us have been in that place where we look at somebody and say, wow, they did that because they were trying, you know, I'm so important they hurt me and they did it on purpose. And we may not even consciously think of it, but listen to people when they start telling you about what somebody's done. There's almost, well, they are just bothering me on purpose, and they're meaning to do it. We need to be careful with that. Because even if they are, there's nothing you can do about it. And if they aren't, you're getting mad at them for nothing. So don't be a motive. Don't, don't do this. Just forgive them. You know, we're all sinners. You know All of us sin. I know that's a shock to everybody, too. You know, we all sin. Most of us sin quite often. I've said many times, I'm never surprised when a sinner sins because that's who they are. I'm never surprised when a Christian sins because they're a sinner. Shocks me, it hurts me a little more because they should know better. But I'm not surprised. If we have this attitude of I'm not surprised when a sinner sins, how angry are we going to be at people? They are being sinners. <laughs> they are being human. Maybe they should know better. Maybe they've been a Christian for uh, 120 years and should know better, but they're still a sinner. We need to be careful about this. Don't be bitter toward other people. I made it through two verses. We're going to end here. <laughs> Let's go as prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, right now we ask that they will be convicted and they will accept you as their Lord and Savior and be washed in the blood that we've talked about. And Lord, for all those in this room that are Christians, Lord, we ask you to cleanse our minds, teach us to forgive one another, teach us to not be bitter, teach us to be submitted to you, and actually have you change our lives today, not just being forgetful hearers. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.